Continue this evening our series through the book of Ephesians. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together, for an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
That's where we read God's holy and inspired word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that we consider this evening is verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text that we consider this evening is a text familiar to most every Christian. It is a text that is fundamental for Christianity. It is a text that many new Christians or new converts are instructed in and perhaps have as the very first verse of the Bible that they memorize. It is a verse that cheers the soul of the young Christian, otherwise burdened down with the sense of his or her sins, as he exclaims that by grace I am saved. But although this is a text that is fundamental for Christianity, and a text that is brought to new and young Christians, the truth is that this text continues to be a blessing even unto mature Christians. This is a text that not only brings consolation to the one new to the gospel, but this is a text that also brings comfort unto the aged, even the dying saint. As one prepares to leave this earth and go to the life that is to come, the comfort that the Christian has is that I am saved not by works, but by grace, which is the gift of God to us through Jesus Christ. And so may this text and the preaching of it in this evening serve as a comfort to those young and to those old, to those burdened, to those overwhelmed, to those ashamed of this, their sins and the curse that is, the, the guilt that is due unto them for them. May God's word of salvation by grace, uphold and edify. Saved by grace. We use that as our theme this evening. First, we'll consider the power of grace. Second, the gift of grace. And third, the confidence of faith. The apostles states under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for by grace are ye saved through faith. The idea of grace is central to this text. So what then is 
graves. It's a term common, commonly known to all of us. Catechism students are taught that particular grace is the reason that we are Protestant Reformed and not Christian Reformed. But what is grace? What's the basic idea of it? Grace at the most fundamental level is beauty. That's grace. A person who is filled with grace is a beautiful person. That's how the scriptures speak of grace. Psalm 45, verse 2. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. That's why he's fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. And as well, Proverbs 22, verse 11 He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, that is, for his beautiful speech, the king shall be his friend. We speak this way as well, even in our language and conversation, equating grace with beauty. If there is a deer that is bounding gracefully through the woods. What we mean by that is that there's something beautiful about that scene of the deer bounding through the woods. Grace. Grace begins within God Himself. Oftentimes when we consider grace, we think of grace as it is disseminated unto us. And we consider whether grace is then common or uncommon. We consider whether grace is resistible or irresistible. And although those questions about grace, as grace is given unto us, are important questions to face, that's not the starting point for grace. For God within himself is the God of grace. The Father is gracious, the Son is gracious, and the Holy Spirit is gracious. So to testify that God is the gracious God is to say, beloved, that our God is the beautiful God. He's adorable. He is the lovely God. There's nothing that mars or diminishes the beauty or the glory of our God. There's nothing that can be added unto Jehovah God to make Him more beautiful than what He already is. He is the God of light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Jehovah God is the God of beauty. This is something that is very hard for us to understand, that Jehovah God is perfectly beautiful. For when we look into the mirror and see our own reflection, 
Is it not our human nature to focus on what we perceive to be blemishes, things that we wish could be improved in our appearance? But for Jehovah God, as he evaluates himself, there is nothing that blemishes his beauty. He is the God of grace. But then the scriptures teach unto us that God does not retain grace exclusively for himself, but God gives grace unto his people. By grace, ye, you, are saved. How amazing is that thought that God gives grace unto us. Because grace is an attribute of God, that means then that as God gives grace unto us, God is giving Himself by His Holy Spirit unto us. How bold we are then to ask God to give us grace. For to ask Him to give us grace is to ask God to give us His own Holy Spirit. But then the question is, do we have any right to this grace? Can we claim this grace of God as ours? And the answer to that question is, because of our fall into sin, we've lost any right to grace. Grace is forfeited favor. This becomes evident to us, especially in the Old Testament book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6 records the history leading up to the flood. At that time, there was a rapid growth of wickedness and evil upon this earth. The scriptures state that every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And as Jehovah God looked upon this earth and saw the wickedness of mankind and saw how they had given themselves over unto the base desires of the flesh, It was the determination of God that he was going to execute justice, vengeance upon this earth. He was determined to send a worldwide flood that would destroy mankind from off of this earth. But then we read in Genesis chapter 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. As Noah looked and was given the ability to behold Jehovah God, Noah did not see anger, justice of God ready to be poured out upon this earth and destroy mankind for their wickedness. But Noah, as he looked and was given the ability to see even the eyes of God, he beheld the beauty of God. He saw that God would not destroy him 
or his children, but that God in his grace would preserve them. Grace. It's beauty within God himself that comes to us as unmerited, forfeited favor. There's power in grace. The text states the power of grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The power of grace is the power of salvation. But then the question is, well, what is this salvation that grace gives unto us? Certainly we understand that the salvation is spiritual that God grants. But then what aspect of salvation does this text speak of? Salvation is a broad term that is used throughout the Scriptures to speak of many different aspects of salvation. Salvation includes regeneration. Salvation includes justification. It includes sanctification. It includes God's preservation of us in that state of forgiveness. Salvation includes, at last, our glorification. And so in what sense then does this text speak of salvation? What's the power of grace as it saves us? The context helps us understand, beloved, what the power of grace is. First of all, the context gives us to know that the power of grace is this. It, it makes us alive. Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And this thought is repeated in the fifth verse. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Death. You considered how ugly death is? See the dead animal alongside the road, its flesh rotting, it stinks. Mankind knows that death is ugly. And so what do we do with the bodies of deceased loved ones? We do everything we can to make that body presentable. But make up on the dead body to try to cover up some of the ugliness of death. Behold the power of grace which takes that which is dead and makes it alive and beautiful. That's the power of God's grace. He takes our hearts which were dead in sins and in trespasses, hearts which deviated from performing the will of God, hearts which, instead of living unto the glory of God's name, lived unto the glory of self, 
And the grace of God as it enters into the hearts of his children takes that heart and changes that ugly heart into a beautiful and living heart. That's the power of grace. And then as well, the power of grace is this, that grace delivers us from the, no, the, the dominion of sin. That's part of the salvation that we receive by grace. We read of this in verses 2 and 3. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Grace frees us from the tyranny of sin in our lives. Whereas earlier we walked in darkness and delighted in the same now we who are given grace walk in the light and delight in the light of God's Word. The grace of God gives unto the believer the strength of self-restraint so that the believer can say no to the temptations of the flesh. Grace gives unto the believer the power to live a life of holiness and gratitude unto God. Grace makes us beautiful. And then the power of grace is this as well as it's set forth in the context. Grace gives hope. Even the hope of life everlasting. Verses 6 and 7. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the midst of an otherwise hopeless world in which we live, in the midst of countless discouragements and disappointments, grace gives hope. The person who does not have grace in his life does not have the ability to hope for life everlasting with Jesus. The unbeliever's thought are filled with concerns of the present moment. The scope of his thinking is limited to the horizon of this earth. At best, the unbeliever hopes that the present trials in which he presently finds himself will be removed. But he does not have the ability to hope that there is some future good held, reserved for him in heaven. 
grace. By grace ye are saved. And part of the salvation that God gives unto us is the ability to hope that in the ages to come we will see the exceeding riches of God as God raises us up and makes us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Such is the grace that God gives unto us whereby we are saved. This grace, the Apostle Paul states to us, is a gift. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's been much discussion throughout the history of the New Testament church over what the word that refers to, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Some would say that that refers only to faith. So faith is the gift of God. Others would say that that refers to salvation, that salvation is the gift of God. Others would maintain that great, it refers to grace. Grace is the gift of God. The reality is, beloved, that all three of these are the gift of God. Grace is the gift of God and not of yourself. Salvation is the gift of God. And faith is the gift of God. The Canons of Dort, Heads 3-4, make clear unto us that faith is included as the gift of God. We read in the Canons, Head 3 4, Article 14. Faith is therefore to be considered as the gift of God, not on account of its being offered by God to man to be accepted or rejected at his pleasure, but because it, faith, is in reality conferred, breathed, and infused into him. This gift of God that he gives unto us of grace and salvation and of faith is a gift that is irresistible. Not everyone would describe the gift of salvation and faith and grace in this way. Some would describe the gift of God this way. They would say that God has this gift. He purchased it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. God desires that you would have this gift. And so God now stands there with his arm outstretched unto you, his hand holding that gift, and it's available for you to take that gift. But now the only thing left for you to do is to reach out and grab that gift of salvation from off the hand of God. They would not maintain that this gift of God is given irresistibly unto his people. 
but the Arminian would teach that it is up to you. You may choose whether you want to accept this, this gift, or you may resist this gift of God. Now, the Arminian would continue to resist it. You would do so to your own folly, to your own destruction. It's, it's for your benefit to reach out and grab a hold of that gift, and yet that gift, the ability to choose that gift remains in your power. But it cannot be the case that this gift of God is something that you can choose for yourself. And if anyone asks you, well, why is it that it's not up to you to choose to accept or reject this gift, the answer to that question is found right in the context. Why is it that the power is not ours to accept or deny? It's because of what's taught in verse 1 and verse 5. We're dead. We're dead in our sins and in our trespasses. How much power does a dead person have? to reach out and take a hold of that gift. No more could a dead person reach out and take the medicine that is offered him by the doctor than what we in our natural fallen state could reach out and take a hold of the gift of the grace of God. If grace is going to have an impact on this dead individual, and it does have an impact, then it must be that grace is given irresistibly to the dead. And we may say more yet about this gift. Not only is this gift of God irresistible, but also this gift is effectual. This goes beyond saying that the gift is irresistible. Medicine could be given unto a dead individual. It could be that somebody gives that dead individual a shot of medicine in the arm, and that the dead person doesn't resist that medicine being given unto him. But the question remains, will that medicine do anything for that dead individual? And even the child knows that by the time that medicine is administered unto a dead individual, it's too late. It's not going to have an effect upon that person. But not so for grace. As God irresistibly gives his Grace unto those who by nature are dead in their sins. That grace of God is effectual. And that because of the fact, as we said in the first point, that there is power that is within the grace of God. This grace that God gives unto us is not a mere pleasantry in our lives. 
It's not a mere decoration that God gives unto us. It's not a mere objective beauty that we can behold with our eyes and appreciate for its aesthetic value. But the grace that God gives unto us, which is His gift, is a, is, is a gift that transforms us. It changes us. The person who has grace in his life is never the same as, that, as when before when he did not have that saving grace in his life. Grace is effectual in our lives because of the crucifix. It's in the cross that we see the power of the grace of God to save his people from their sins. Always the justice of God must be satisfied. It was not possible for God simply to turn his eyes away from the sins of his people. Payment must be made for the offenses. And so God in his grace demanded of his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus make the payment for the sins of God's people. That's grace. That God did not punish you. That God did not pour out the cup of his wrath on you. But God poured it out upon his son. And he drank it to the bitter dregs thereof. Grace given to you as a gift, but it cost God, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. When we behold this reality, then we see with the Apostle Paul that there is no room for boasting. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, but we want to boast, do we not? It's in our nature. To want to boast. We want to be noticed. We want to be respected. We want to be esteemed. This has been the struggle of mankind throughout the history of the church, acknowledging that there is no room for man to boast. Always we have it within our nature, the mentality that there's something that we can do that will contribute unto our salvation. Abraham of old struggled with this thought. He had received that promise from God, that covenant word that God would make a great nation out of Abraham, that God would give unto him that land of promise. But Abraham understood that there was apparently a problem. The problem was he didn't have any children. 
And so instead of trusting in God and in the grace of God, what did Abraham and Sarah do? They decided that Abraham best go into the bondwoman, Hagar, and have a child with her. You see, because of the pride of man, we doubt whether or not God is sufficient by His grace to save. In the New Testament, it was the Pharisees who, yes, acknowledged Jehovah God and acknowledged that there were offerings and sacrifices that must be made for the sins of mankind, but who said that in addition to that, there must be deeds of righteousness, outward obedience unto the law. And then the Roman Catholic Church, following on that, that salvation consists of Jesus Christ plus man's works. Always, it is the temptation of fallen man to think that he must contribute something unto his salvation. To this present day, we struggle with this in the way that we show that our struggle with believing that salvation is all of grace is by our doubts, by the fears that we have about salvation. The devil can so get a grip upon our hearts that we doubt whether or not our sins have been paid for with the blood of the Lamb. We wonder whether we do belong unto God and will through death be delivered from this veil of tears. Parents worry about the salvation of their children. And so we must be reminded again and again that salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast, but salvation is the gift of God. The formula is not that by grace and works we are saved. It is not Because we are Protestant Reformed, we are saved. It is not because we give generously unto the church and to the causes of the kingdom that we are saved. But it's grace. By grace, ye are saved. There is not one spot along the pathway of salvation where we can point to our good works and say, because I contributed this, now I know that I am saved. No, it is exclusively because of grace. 
we know this to be true for ourselves? Can we be confident of our own salvation? By means of faith, we are able to have the confidence of our salvation. For the text states that by grace ye are saved through faith. Faith is that instrument by which God gives unto us the knowledge that indeed we are saved. Faith, which is union with Jesus Christ. Faith, which is that bond, the unbreakable bond that God himself establishes. Not only is it the case that God establishes that bond that we have with Jesus Christ, but it also is the case that God maintains that bond with Jesus Christ. Faith always directs our attention not unto ourselves and not unto our own works, but faith directs us unto Jesus Christ. You see, the power of faith is found in the object of faith. How strong is the one whom your faith believes? Faith directs us unto the one who is our rock and our refuge, the cornerstone of the church against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so it is then that because faith directs our eyes unto Jesus Christ that the Christian may be confident of his salvation. One theologian put it this way, if I had to contribute as much as a sigh unto my salvation, I would be eternally condemned. Faith points us to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because salvation is the gift of God's work, uh, the gift of God's grace, our salvation is secure and unchangeable. There is nothing that can alter the reality of grace in the life of the child of God. To be sure, there are times where we do not experience that grace as keenly as what we would desire to do. There are times where our feelings and our emotions change. Times where we can be swept over with feelings of our guilt and our sins. Times where the sense of our unworthiness makes us blush even to think about coming into the presence of the thrice holy God. But although our feelings and our emotions change, the salvation which is worked by grace never changes. There is nothing that mars or diminishes our beauty as we stand redeemed with the blood of the Lamb. There is nothing that can make us ugly or unworthy of being brought into the presence of Jehovah God. For God Himself has made us beautiful with His own grace that He gives unto us as His gift. 
the knowledge of our secure and unchangeable salvation does not make us careless or profane. It does not give unto us an excuse to live ungodly and unholy lives, but rather the knowledge of God's grace humbles us. And it stirs within us a desire to live lives of fidelity and obedience and gratitude unto God. Romans 3.27 Where is boasting then? It is excluded. 1 Corinthians 1.31 He that glory let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, how great thou art, and greatly to be praised. Thou art the God who has given unto us the unspeakable gift of thy Son, Jesus Christ, the God who preserves us in our salvation until at last in the ages to come thou wilt show unto us the exceeding riches of thy grace revealed in thy kindness toward us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That thou sustain us and hold us in the week that is ahead. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.